Today on Bold Steps, Mark Job gives some interesting insight on how to avoid letting a crisis go to waste. But those of you that understand that the God of the universe that created heaven and earth, the God of the universe that has all power to do all things, when you know He is with you, you can be calm in the middle of the crisis, not because of who you are, but because you know who you are with. And welcome to Bold Steps with Mark Job, president of Moody Bible Institute and senior pastor of New Life Community Church in Chicago. Well, when was the last time you were in a crisis mode? Maybe it was a financial or medical emergency, maybe a weather crisis. Perhaps you found yourself in a situation you weren't simply prepared for. Today, Mark, you're going to help us understand how God can use our time of crisis to accomplish His purposes. You know, Wayne, life is full of crisis. Some are big, some are small. We're either in a crisis, going out of a crisis, going into a crisis. Yes, we are. But you're going to learn today out of this passage how not to waste your crisis. God has a purpose and a divine plan in your crisis. We're talking spiritually today, and the text is Daniel chapter 2. So here's Mark Job. Don't waste your crisis. There is not an individual in this auditorium that is unfamiliar with crisis, unless you're a baby. And then you've had a few dirty diaper crisis, I guess. But we all understand crisis, how about it? How many of you within the last five years have experienced either a financial, a health, a marriage, a family, an educational crisis of some sort in your life? Raise your hand if in the last five years you've had some sort of crisis. Right, most of us, have gone through a crisis. In fact, I like to say about crisis or storms, you are either coming out of a crisis or you're going into a crisis. So if you're here today saying, Pastor, I am crisis free. Well, take good notes because you're probably gonna go into one pretty soon. That's just the way life is. But I believe that a lot of us actually waste the crisis that we go through. And I want to make sure that if you're in the middle of a crisis right now, that you are not wasting the opportunities that God is actually opening to you in the midst of a crisis. Normally, a crisis threatens us somehow. It threatens some loss or change that we fear. But I'm convinced that crisis and opportunity have more in common than what you may think. In fact, I believe that in every crisis, there is an opportunity if you allow God to bring out an opportunity. I was thinking about this a little bit, and my mind went back over the years in my life, and I've experienced multiple crises of one degree or another in my life, and I've seen the hand of God in powerful ways, but I was thinking about uh, when I... Uh, Years ago, when my wife and I first got married, I had rented an apartment uh, over near 46 in Rockwell, and I barely could afford my apartment because I was starting out, and the church was very, very small, and my salary was pretty small. In fact, I got married, and I didn't have a bed to sleep in because mattresses were really expensive, and so I didn't want to go in debt 
And so my bed for the first three months was the living room floor. Thank God there was plush carpet. And, uh, but I had an apartment. And we started doing ministry in that apartment, and we soon discovered that the landlord did not want people in and out of our apartment, and she made it clear, hey, I know you're a pastor, but this is not a chapel. And uh, so uh, we had to leave that apartment and look around for another apartment that would be more open to us having Bible studies in our, in our apartment. So we found a place right over in front of Shields Grammar School on 43rd Street. And we told the lady in advance, I'm a pastor. I want to have Bible studies at my house. So I want to make sure you're okay with me, people coming in and out of my house because I, I, I want to have Bible studies. And she assured us that she was okay. And so we were super happy. We found a place to have Bible studies. And a couple months into it, I was having a Bible study with a bunch of couples, married couples Bible study in my living room. And I, I got in the middle of my Bible study, a knock on the door like, and my landlord came up and she saw all the people in the house and she started to panic. And she was saying, oh, the floor is going to cave in. And what is this? And no, this can't be. And disrupted the entire Bible study and said, you can't have groups like this in your house. And so once again, we had to move out of our house. My wife was like, hey, this is the second time we're moving. This is crazy. Can't we find a place that we can stay in? And so there was a fellow in the church that owned a building, and he said, hey, you can rent my apartment. He was a Christian. And I thought, finally, a Christian. Now we can have whatever we want in and out of the house because he attends the church and he'll be happy to see ministry happening out of our house. And I was so happy. And we did a lot of ministry in and out of our house. And then one day he was going through an issue. And as a pastor, I had to confront him about an issue in his life. Well, after I confronted him about the issue of his life, he wrote me a letter and said, I want you out of my apartment one more time. One more time, we were out of the house, and here I am with a little baby and my wife having to stay in someone's spare room, uh, someone else's house, and my wife was like, we're getting kicked out of every single apartment that we have because we're doing ministry and kind of frustrated about it that we had to go. Well, little did we know, and it felt like a crisis, felt like I'm up. I'm a man with a family and a baby, and I can't seem to, everybody keeps kicking me out. And little did I know that an individual that was connected to the church heard about my plight, and he approached me on the side, and he said, listen, you're a pastor, you should have a place that you could minister to, I know you can't afford a house, I want to give you the down payment for your first house. So I bought a little Georgian over here on 42nd and, and Springfield, and that was our first house that we ministered in. But what seemed to me like it was a crisis, what seemed to me like it was very uh, throwing our life in upheaval, actually turned out to be a blessing that turned out to give us a house where we could minister in. And what I want you to know is that I believe that in the midst of your crisis right now, whatever you may be experiencing, that God is also looking for opportunity to bless you in the middle of a crisis. Are you tracking with me today? Okay, so 
If you turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2, you will discover that Daniel is in the middle of a crisis. Now, let me say this about crisis. Sometimes we create our own crisis. In fact, some of you are really good at creating crisis. I mean, you're like an expert. Every six months, whether you like it or not, it feels like life is boring, so you create another crisis. I mean, you are so good at self, at, at indulging yourself at creating a crisis. And how many of you know people like that, that they're always in crisis, always creating a crisis? How many of you are like that? Don't raise your hand, Nada. Um, and don't point at people beside you either. So some of us create crisis on a regular basis, and some of us get dragged in to other people's crisis. You say, I have nothing to do with it. It wasn't my problem. I didn't try to create it. I just dragged in because I'm married to this guy. You may be a married woman and your husband gets fired from his job because of his temper. And now you're experiencing foreclosure on your house, not because you did anything, but because your husband couldn't keep his temper down. And you feel like I'm being dragged in my kids and I are being dragged into a crisis that I did not create, but he created and he's pulling me into it. Or maybe you're a father here and you have a son that struggles with addiction and you feel like every time you turn around, he's in trouble once again with the law. Another time you're getting a call from someone, the, the police department, and say, Mr. So-and-so, do you know? Yeah, that's my son. Once again, another rehab, another jail sentence, another trouble, another he's out in the streets, and you feel like, hey, I didn't create this, but I keep getting dragged in to my son's crisis. Or maybe you have a brother that's always in trouble with the family and you're the fall person and always, hey, can I crash at your house a little bit and it puts strain between you and your wife because he's always crashing on your house, always asking for money from you and it feels like you're always being sucked in to their crisis. Or maybe you're a young person right now and your parents have gone through a nasty divorce. You didn't create it, you didn't want it, but they fought like cats and dogs and now they're divorced and now you're in the middle of where do you spend Thanksgiving weekend? At his house or hers? What do you do for Christmas? And you feel torn and tugged between two that are dragging you into their mess. Not that you created, but that you have become collateral damage to someone else's crisis. Now, see, I, I believe all of us understand and all of us have felt the pull of being dragged into a crisis that we didn't create, but suddenly we're in the middle of it. Daniel's story is just like that. In Daniel chapter 2, we see this young man, Daniel, being sucked into someone else's crisis. He didn't create it. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't deserve it. Yet suddenly he's sucked into a crisis that's literally threatening his life, and he has to try to figure out how to get out of a crisis that he did not create. Let me give you the background a little bit. So there's an egocentric king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. He has an unusual dream. This dream perplexes him, gives him insomnia. He feels like God or someone is trying to say something to him through this dream. 
but he can't get over this dream. He becomes obsessed about this dream and what is the meaning of this dream. So he calls together all his spiritual advisors, astrologists, psychics, sorcerers, magicians, the equivalent of palm readers today, curanderas, whoever he can get a hold of, and he brings them all together and he says, I had a dream, and I need to understand what this dream means, because I believe it's an important dream. And so they say to him, sure, king, tell us your dream, and we'll try to figure out the interpretation. And he says, oh, no, no, no. I don't want any of your flippant, made-up interpretation to my dream. I want you to tell me the dream that I had, and then I'll know that your interpretation is right. So tell me the dream, and then I know that you all will be right on your interpretation. And they say, King, no one can do that. I mean, that's unreasonable. You're, you're asking us to do something that no man on earth can do to tell you the dream that you had before we can interpret it. And he, the king is furious. The Bible tells us that he says to them, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your house shall be laid to ruin. And you thought your boss was tough. <laughs> In essence, he's saying, if you don't give me what I want, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear you apart. I'm going to execute you. I'm going to ruin your family, I'm going to tear down your houses because I need to know what this dream meant. And if you do interpret the dream, I'm going to give you wealth and prosperity. I'm going to honor you and elevate you to a high place. None of the sorcerers or spiritual advisors knew exactly what to do. None of them could interpret the dream. And so the king firmly decreed all of them should be executed. Now Daniel and his buddies Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were part of that group. They were apprentices, they were young, they were probably 18, 19 years old by this time, not even known to the king. And so the king's emissary comes knocking at the door and says, by the way, Daniel, get ready because you're gonna be executed probably tomorrow or in the near future. We'll continue the story with the rest of today's message from Mark Job in just a moment. You're listening to Bold Steps. And if you'd like to hear us at another time, perhaps while you're out for a walk or running errands, you can easily do that by listening right from your phone through our podcast. Just search for Bold Steps with Dr. Mark Job, And when you click the subscribe button, you'll begin to automatically download these daily messages each week. And if you ever have any thoughts or questions that you'd like to share with us, reach out and let us know on our website, boldstepsradio.org. You can do that by clicking the tab labeled Ask a Question. Or send us an email directly at boldstepsatmoody.edu. We so appreciate hearing from our listeners, and we take time to read every message we receive. And of course, if you'd like to share with others how this ministry has helped you, we encourage you to post your comments on our social media. You'll find us on Facebook and Instagram by looking for Bold Steps Radio. Now, let's get back to Mark's message for today. It's titled, Don't Waste Your Crisis. Now imagine being at your house, like normal, doing your regular duties, and someone knocks at your door and says, by the way, you're going to be executed. I don't know about you, but my natural response, I think, would be a little panicky. 
But I want you to notice four things that Daniel does to maximize his crisis and not waste his crisis. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Number one, stay calm. Remember, God is bigger than your current problem. They come to Daniel's door. In verse 13, it says, the decree went out, the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill him. But Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. In other words, with a calm spirit and wisdom. Now, who responds like that when you're being told you're going to die? Most of us, when we're sucked into someone's crisis, most of us become full of anxiety. Some of us become angry. Some of us throw our fists to the heavens and say, why me? Some of us stomp and yell and scream and some people collapse and cry and panic and are full of anxiety. When you get bad news from the doctor, when you get the notice from your job, when you get the divorce papers from your wife, when they find a lump somewhere in your body and they think it's cancer. I mean, we don't know what to say when we're dragged into crisis, but it is unusual for us to respond calmly and with discernment. And I'm wondering, I ask myself this question, how did Daniel stay so calm? And I believe that if you read the story of Daniel, you, you learn why Daniel was able to be so calm and collected. It's because Daniel knew who was with him. A few years ago, my daughter was about to turn 21, and I wanted to do something for her birthday that she would enjoy. She's a little bit of an adrenaline junkie and wanted to do something that she had never done before. So she said to me, Dad, how about if we go skydiving? I said, okay, how about if you go and I watch? She said, no, I want you to go with me. So I agreed. I said, all right, let's go skydiving. And so we went to this place where a plane will take you up and release you from a perfectly healthy airplane and you jump out of it. And so the most scary thing about the entire experience was the video that they show you at the front end by a lawyer. And, and everybody who was going to jump out of that airplane that day had to watch the video. The lawyer with a serious face said, now you know that if you agree to jump, you may die. You may be severely injured. If you break your back, it's not our fault. If you break your legs, it's not our fault. If the airplane goes down, it's not our fault. If the parachute malfunctions, it's not our fault. Now, please sign on the dotted line. That scared me more than anything else. Like, whoa, no responsibility. I want to know who packed my parachute. I want to see this airplane. And so we got in this airplane and started going up and up and up. We got about 4,000 feet and I looked down and I said, are we about to jump? He says, no, no, we're going a lot higher than that. We went up to 9,000 feet, 10,000 feet. We're about 14,000 feet in the air in this little airplane and they opened the back door. One guy went out. Another guy went out. I let my daughter go in front of me. I'm a gentleman. I always let ladies go first. I opened the door and let him go first. And then it was my turn. And I tell you what, I jumped out of that plane. That was a scary thought just to go out into the nothing and jump out of the plane and you're free falling and going down. But I tell you what, I had a secret weapon. 
Something that made me a lot more calmer, a lot more secure. When you do the first jump, they don't let you jump alone. They do what they call in tandem jumping, which means that they harness an instructor tied to a harness on the back of your parachute. And when you jump, you jump with an instructor that has thousands of jumps of experience. Believe me, I figured out because I talked to him. Now, how many times have you jumped and has anybody gotten hurt and do you know what to do? And he basically told him, I said, hey, if I forget to pull the parachute, what will happen? He said, I'll remember. I'm the instructor. I've done this a lot of times. And because I had someone jumping with me, I felt pretty secure because I had someone that had a lot of experience that knew what he was doing that was jumping with me. In fact, I could keep calm because I knew who was with me. Now, you know where I'm going with it, right? Some of you, when a crisis happens, the back door of the, the airplane opens and you are free falling and you have no idea what's going to happen. Some of you panic because you're not really clear what to do. But those of you that understand that the God of the universe that created heaven and earth, that was here way before you ever existed, that will be here all into eternity past, the God that made the heavens, that put the stars in the sky, that created the firmament, the God of the universe that has all power to do all things, when you know he is with you, you can be calm in the middle of the crisis, not because of who you are, but because you know who you are with. And I believe that Daniel was able to be calm in this situation because he had already determined God is with me. And we see it later on in the passage that he firmly understood the fact of God's presence in his life. When you know that God is with you, a crisis actually turns around. And even though you may not understand the outcome of the crisis, you start understanding that a crisis could be a gift in disguise. In fact, the Bible tells us that God works all things for the good of those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. That no matter what circumstance or situation happens, that God has the ability to take even that which looks bad and squeeze good out of it by His hand. Well, if you are wondering, there is a part two of this lesson titled Don't Waste Your Crisis, but that's coming up on tomorrow's program. So make plans to join us here again on Bold Steps with Mark Job. And in case you missed an earlier lesson from our new series called Allegiance, Kingdom Living in a Foreign Land, feel free to catch up anytime by visiting our website at boldstepsradio.org. While you're there, we also encourage you to request a copy of this month's Bold Step gift. It's a resource that will equip you with a new perspective on your own life story and how it fits in to the greater kingdom of God. Stories of conquests, rebellions, conspiracies mesmerize us. We tell them in fairy tales and in films and poems and in plays. But in most stories, we learn very little about the storyteller himself. And that's where Tony Evans' book, The Kingdom Agenda, is different. For all of history, God has been waging war against the forces of darkness. He's rallied armies, led miraculous victories, and laid down his own life on behalf of the people he loves. 
And in each chapter of The Kingdom Agenda, Dr. Evans highlights the conquest and the character of our Almighty God. You'll see with stunning clarity how the mighty author of history is still fighting today. And do you want to know something incredible? He's calling you into that battle. If you want to know more about the King of Kings and where you fit into his army, this is a resource that you cannot miss out on. Reach out today and request your copy of Dr. Tony Evans' The Kingdom Agenda when you give a gift of any amount to support the ministry of Bold Steps. Do that by visiting us online at boldstepsradio.org to make your donation and request this Bold Step gift. Or call us at 844-615-7363. That's 844-615-7363. You can also send your gift through the mail by writing to us at Bold Steps, 820 North LaSalle Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois, 60610. And if you want to do even more with your giving, consider becoming a Bold Partner and sign up to give on a monthly basis. It's thanks to the reliable support of our Bold Partners that we're able to continue sharing these Bible lessons on the air in your community and in new communities across the globe. And when you sign up to give $30 a month or more, you'll get the Moody Publishers discount code of 50%. This will get you half off every devotional, Bible study, and kids book at moodypublishers.org. Sign up to become a Bold Partner today at boldstepsradio.org or call us at 844 844- 615-7363. Well, I'm Wayne Shepherd, and that's the end of our program for now, but we'll see you again tomorrow for part two of our message titled, Don't Waste Your Crisis. That's coming up Tuesday on Bold Steps with Mark Joe. Bold Steps is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.